Good morning. Please take your seats. If you've managed to find your life group, excellent job. Well done. Pat yourself on the back. If you are not in a life group yet, just go and sit next to someone who looks friendly and nice, and maybe they've got good snacks. Just go and position yourself around the ones with the good food and smiley faces. If we have not met yet, my name is Melanie. I am married to Stuart, and together we love and lead this beautiful church we call Real Life. We do that with a massive team of people. So we have elders here, we have a leadership team here, we have directors, we have overseers, group leaders. So when we say we lead, we do that together with so many of you. So we're so grateful. I don't know if you've been to many weddings over the years. I have racked up my fair share of weddings. And sometimes I go to weddings and I think, oh man, I wish I could get married again. Obviously to Stuart, I wish I could get married again and steal that idea. I love that idea. And sometimes I go to weddings and I think, yeah, not on your life. I don't know whether you do that. Sometimes when I'm in a wedding, I just think, oh, I love that. I'm not keen on that. I'm going to share some of my favorites. Uh, I am sorry if I mention your wedding and you think, what? Um, so one of my friends decided when we got married, it was the kind of season where people were going to town on the centerpieces in the tables. And so people were doing like the craziest of things. One of my friends said, um, we're going to have goldfish on the table. We're going to have giant goldfish bowls full of like, you know, things that you have in a goldfish bowl and rocks and little plants and, and actual goldfish. And, and I remember listening to it thinking, what? Then the night before the wedding, loads of us get this frantic phone call way before you had a WhatsApp group or even a mobile phone saying, all the fish have died. So, because um, basically I think they didn't really like the thought of being sent. So, can anyone get to a pet shop? Um, and so at the wedding, you had these really random, like bowls of really random fish around the place. So made a mental note to self if I ever, you know, decided to renew my vows with you. I'm not having livestock or live animal, anything like that. We went to one, um, a vegan wedding, and way before vegan food, because now vegan foods, it's all right. Um, but then, Oh, no. So we went to a vegan wedding, and I think the all-time low for me was the pudding, because I love pudding. And the pudding came out. It was a, um, I don't think you can even call it this, it was an apple strudel. So the pastry was grey, because, of course, you got nothing good in it. And it had lumps of, like, white tofu in amongst the... Um, apple, like pure. So, as you kind of like swallowed it, it felt a bit like it shouldn't be going down. Um, so that was that was an all-time low. The bar at the wedding sold out of crisps in about like five seconds. So, uh, I went to one. I've been to two actually, where the brides have both worn white Converse. Now that is one that I went to, and I thought, I wish I'd thought of that. I wore the most uncomfortable non-me-like shoes I've ever worn on my wedding day. So if we ever get married again, I'm going to have white sparkly converse. I'm just putting it out there, Stu. I went to one where they had loads of, in the break between getting married and the reception, loads of homemade cake. And there was a tiffin there, like a crunchy tiffin. 
art that was just so good. And I remember feeling like quite polite because I was at the, towards the front of the queue, just taking one and then thinking, oh no, I wish I'd just grabbed a load of that. So good cake, I love that at a wedding. Went to one with a rainbow dress where everywhere she moved, like netting of rainbow. I don't think I could pull it off, but I just thought it was just beautiful. Went to one where I was asked to help with some of the catering and cutting of the cake, and the cake was all held together, which you don't realize when you look at wedding cakes. It always looks so gorgeous. This one was held together with a lot of dowels and, you know, glue, and it was, it was held together. So when you went to cut it, the whole thing just fell apart. So I'm sorry if you were at that wedding, because a lot of the cake I kind of mushed together with my very washed hands to make into a shape again so that it didn't look like a five-year-old had cut it. So I made a mental note to self in that one to never offer to help out with cutting someone's wedding cake ever again. The last one that has stuck in my head probably forever is a wedding that we went to where the bridal party served the guests. And it was, it was, it was one of those weddings that was just, it was so powerful and so beautiful, but so uncomfortable because it felt like the wrong people were waiting the table. So the bridal party, the bride and her family served us our food and we, instead of a top table where they sat and they, they served us, and it was, I literally, everything in me just kind of sat there like, like, this just feels the wrong way around, but it was so powerful and so beautiful. I was at a birthday party last night where the birthday boy was serving the food, and that just felt so lovely, a really nice connection. But again, there was something in me that just thought, should we be doing this? Or Because actually to be served at a table where you view yourself as the one who should be serving, is a little uncomfortable. So this is the table that we're coming to this morning. If you've missed out on the My Shepherd series, you should catch up. It's three weeks long. The first week, Stuart spoke to us. Second week, Jeremy with Matt and Phil. And this week, me with Ben and Charlotte. So if you're listening online, if you're sitting in the room, and this is your first week, or you've missed any of the other, please catch up. We've talked about Jesus being my shepherd and leading us and caring for us. If I'm honest, we all need to hear that. We've talked about him being right beside us in every valley and every hard place. And today we're going to talk about him hosting us, which is just a, a beautiful picture of our servant leader. So I'm going to invite my friends, Ben and Shah, who are going to come up and read to us Psalm 23 plus the verses that we're doing in multiple versions. Okay, this is Psalm 23 from the ESV translation. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Okay, I'm going to read verses 5 to 6 of Psalm 23 from various different versions. So the first version is the New King James Version, and this says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The next version I've got is the New Living Translation. And this says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is the New International Version, and this says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Two more versions, nearly there. Um, This is the message. So this is a slightly different version, and this says... You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. And this last version is the Christian Standard Bible. And this says... You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Lovely. I like to, when we're focusing in on a verse, read it in multiple versions because I think it just gives you slightly different sight on the verse. So I thoroughly recommend whenever we're reading something in church, taking a look at it in four different versions and building yourself up a picture. And sometimes there are words that you just love, that you just hang on to, that you just think, oh, that he makes me home. It's just something you can hang out with for a long time. So I thoroughly recommend doing that. So he makes a table or hosts a table for us. So I tried to make a table that I might like. So it's got some nice wine on it, some crusty bread, beautiful candles, some flowers on it. He prepares that for us. And I think the real question for us when we read something like that is, will I take a seat at the table? Will I bring myself into his place, his presence, and sit with what he has prepared for us? Will I have the humility? And I don't know, when I read this, I thought, I remembered the bit where Peter, where Jesus goes to wash Peter's feet, and he's like, no, 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 you should not be washing my feet. Let me wash yours. And then Jesus explains why he's going to wash his feet. And then he says, okay, then wash my whole body. Um, which, you know, is very Peter, isn't it? But you kind of look at that and you think, that's what it feels like sometimes. When God says, I have prepared all of this for you, we think, hang on a minute, let me get all my stuff so that I can drag it to the table, so I can show you I've read my Bible every day, so I can show you that I've prayed every day, so I can show you all my good things, I've done all my good works, so I can bring them all out and go, I know you've got the table for me, but look at what I've come with. 
Whereas actually he prepares this table for us that we would just come. In whatever state we're in, the table for me is just all about Jesus. He wants us to eat with him. He wants us to remember him. He wants us to come before him. He wants us to enjoy all that he has done, all that he has prepared. And I'm sure later on there is time for, can I show you what I've done? But at the point of meeting, it's all about Jesus. It's where we do spiritual warfare from. And it is a bizarre battle plan. So I don't know many wars that are fought where the general or the man in charge says, okay, we are ready. We are going into battle. We're taking that ground. Would you lay a table? Would you grab a chair? Would you take some food? It's a very strange battle plan, but it is how we best do spiritual warfare. So when things are kicking off in your life that you recognize as hardship, suffering, and spiritual, the place you need to get to is in his presence at his table. The place you need to get to is here, where you remember who he is and what he has done. If I'm honest, what I observe in my life and most other people's lives is when it gets tough and when it gets hard and when it's very clear that it's dark, the table is the last place we get ourselves to. We run around doing everything else, proclaiming this, shouting this. We run around seeing what we can fix, what we can do. And as a last resort, we flop out at the table because we've exhausted every other option. We go, okay, Jesus, maybe I'll pray about it. Maybe I'll come and sit in your presence. Maybe I'll spend some time in worship. And I think one of the ways we grow up as a people is we get to the table quicker We get to the table first. We bring ourselves into his presence and take hold of all that he has laid out for us. We're special guests at the table, which I found, I I just, I think becoming a Christian for me was like all my Christmases coming at once. To know that someone else has done it all, has paid the price, has washed me clean, has made me right. To know that all I bring is my sin and my shame and he rocks up with everything else felt to me like I was coming home. The table, this place, it reminds us of that, but it does more than that. It doesn't just say you're a sinner and you can grovel in here and eat at this table. Psalm 23 says, he anoints my head with oil, which was a Middle Eastern custom that people would do when they had special honored guests in their home. It was something they did to just mark that this is, it would be the equivalent of maybe us bringing out the best china or something like that. It was was a way that they said, we consider you special round our table. We consider you most welcome, most wanted. And I look at that and I think, it's enough for me sometimes that Jesus saved me But to consider me a special guest around his table, I feel undone by. I felt undone the last few weeks just thinking about his goodness, about how I'm not just welcome here, just about made it by the skin of my teeth. I'm wanted here. I'm a special guest here. I'm known here. My name is known. Everything about me is known. It's special. My relationship with God is special. It, like it, it, yeah, 
I said, I don't want to talk loads this morning, which is very unlike me, because I want us to worship. I want us to get into a place where we just go, oh, Jesus, not only did you save me, but I am a special guest here at your table. So I am loved, wanted, welcomed. There's something about you that wants to honor me when I feel like I should just honor you. When I feel like I should take the lowest place. Like I'm grateful that I'm even in. But what Jesus says is you're not just in, you're special in my home. Oil, all through the Bible, you can track it. It's used for healing. It talks about gladness, about strength. There is something really Holy Spirity about oil. When I was prepping this with Ben and Shah, Ben messaged back and said something like, why don't we do that more? And I actually did think oil is so special in the Bible. That's a bit gross, but you feel like we should probably be doing it at life groups like like anointing one another with oil. There is something beautiful about oil. I know when there was a move of the Spirit not that long ago, I remember being prayed for and my hands were oily. There was something so beautiful in the atmosphere that I could feel it on me physically. And I wasn't alone in that. There were loads of people who were experiencing slightly strange physical manifestations because the Spirit was moving it's not life groups this week, is it? So you can breathe a sigh of relief, life group leaders. I'm not asking you to like anoint everyone with oil as they walk through the door. But I do think there are some biblical practices that we could look at and go, what do we do with that? There's something beautiful about oil. It says that our cup is overflowing. It's overflowing. And I think sometimes we have too smaller image of God where it's just about half full or just about my measure and actually what the psalm says is not only are you a special guest at my table and I'll anoint you with oil but your cup overflows and that doesn't mean I've got everything that I've ever wanted in middle class land that means everything I could ever need or want for spiritually is mine that the overflowing is that I'm a daughter of the king of all kings, that my place in heaven and on earth is totally secure, that I am always loved, always wanted, that I am more than enough because of what he's done in my life, that I'm so clean that I can be in God's presence over and over again. And he would not only welcome me, he would know me. He would, in a room this size, in a room five times this size, he would know my name and everything about me. He would call me his favorite. He'd call you that as well. But he'd call me that. He'd say, you're mine, I'm yours. What I've got enough of or overflowing of is that. Always, no matter my circumstances, no matter what I walk through, I am so loved and so secure It means that my forever is sorted. It is overwhelming and unbelievable. And sometimes when we focus on the other stuff, we forget that our cups are overflowing. And we grumble about the half measure here when actually in this place, at this table, I have got so much, it's outrageous. So Ben and Charlotte, please come up and share with us. You're going first, Charlotte, aren't you? And then Ben. 
Right. I want to um, take five minutes just to share three things that I have learned about the table. And the first is that we need to know who we are sitting at the table with to truly enjoy him. And so it is so important that we get to know God, get to know Jesus. You might have heard me say this before. It's something that I'm really passionate about. But the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. So if we don't know who Jesus is, we don't know who God is, it's harder for us to love him. It's harder for us to sit at that table and be in that relationship with him and to commune with him like he calls us to and like he asks us to. And one of the best ways that we can get to know God is through our Bibles. It's why we go on and on about reading them. So it is really important that we read our Bibles so that we can know God, we can know who he is. We can know what he says about us. We can know what he calls us into when we sit at the table with him. And that is completely different. If we know who we are pulling a chair up and sitting at the table with, that time with him will be completely different than if we don't know him, than if we're just sitting with someone who's a bit of a stranger, a bit unknown to us, a bit distant to us. So first thing, we need to know who we are called to sit at the table with. Take time to get to know God, get to know Jesus, and it will transform the time that you spend with him. The second thing, it is okay for sitting at the table to look different in different seasons. And as I look back at my life since I became a Christian 27 years ago, my sitting at the table with God has looked different in different seasons. I've had to work hard to figure out what works in different seasons, what makes sense practically, what I can give, what, what needs to happen for me to get that time at the table with God. That looks different when I was at school, when I was a student, when I was on my gap year, when I was newly married and I was commuting into London, I had all that time on the train. When we moved up here and I, my commute looked different. When we had kids and I was a new mummy and I was exhausted and sleep deprived and didn't know what my name was, what day of the week it was, let alone where I'd put my Bible. That looked different. It looked different when my kids grew up a bit and it looked different when they started school. It looked different when COVID hit and we were suddenly back at home again. And now it looks different when they're a bit bigger and life is full in lots of ways. It has looked different and that's okay. Find what works for you depending on the season that you're in. Try hard to find something that works for you. And if something isn't working, it's okay to try something else, to, to mix it up, to try something different. And if you need help with that, ask someone. There's something so beautiful about accountability, about asking, actually, I'm struggling with this. Could you help me? Could you help me find something that works so that I can sit at the table with God? That's the second thing. And the final thing that I have learned is don't compare yourself and what sitting at the table with God looks like for you to what that looks like to the person next to you. God didn't make us to be clones of one another, which is a good thing. I know sometimes it can feel hard when we're all different, but he made us different and he made us different on purpose. And so our relationships, the way we come to sit at the table with God looks different than it looks to the people around us. So we shouldn't compare that. Comparison is so dangerous. It leads to us either feeling superior, either going, oh, yeah, I've got it sorted way better than that person over there. Or we feel inferior and we say, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to be as good as that person. I can't get it right. They do it so well. I'm so rubbish. When we compare, we end up in one of those two places and neither of those places is helpful and neither of those places is where God wants us to be.
So feel free to look around, to get ideas from people, to ask people, actually, how do you sit at the table with Jesus? It's good to ask and to get ideas, but don't do it to get to a point where you feel superior or inferior. Call on one another and get help from one another. And as I was, final thing, as I was thinking about how Jesus invites us to the table, I was struck by the fact that there is something there for all of us in our differences, in the unique ways that God has made us. And it struck me, the love languages, and you might be familiar with the love languages, you might not. They come from a book that was written by a guy called Gary Chapman. And the theory is that there are five main ways that we either express love or we receive love. And those five ways are acts of service, quality time, physical touch, receiving gifts or giving gifts, and words of affirmation. And when we sit at the table with Jesus, no matter what our predominant love language or languages are, we find those at the table. We find acts of service in the way Jesus prepares and lays the table and does everything there that is needed for us to access the table. We get to spend quality time with our Savior when we sit at the table. We don't necessarily get the actual physical touch, but there is that closeness, that closeness of coming into the presence of God that is the same as if he just scoops you up. So if physical touch is important for you, you find that at the table with Jesus in that closeness of communion with him. We receive gifts from him at the table. So he pours out his blessings, his gifts on us. We find what we need in terms of gifts at the table with God. And as we sit there and as we listen to what he says to us, he showers us with words of affirmation. So there is something for everyone at the table, no matter how God has wired you, no matter how God has made you, you can find that expression of love at the table with Jesus. So those are the three things that I have learned. Number one, get to know who you are sitting at the table with. Number two, it's okay for that to look different at different times and in different seasons of your life. And number three, don't compare yourself to others. There is something for everyone at the table. So what I wanted to do with my five minutes is probably just go a little bit deeper on two of the things that Charlotte talked about. So different seasons of my life, what have I done practically to get to the table? Um, and that is not so that there's any comparison going on, as Charlotte's talked about, but just so you, you know, it's a little bit more practical and you might want to nick some of them or might not. So I can basically divide my uh, time at the table with God through various events in my life. So Charlotte mentioned like before kids. And so before kids, I would go on runs and I'd listen to what other people had to say about God and what he was like. I'd have time to worship him while I was on my runs. And I'd also try and be quiet on my runs so that I could hear from him. And that was really key for me when we first moved to Sutton Coalfield to start the church. I would spend loads of time running in Sutton Park uh, and got loads of it. Um, loads of time with him, loads of time at his table. Uh, real life youth, can you give me a wave? You are here. So, you guys, you are time rich, but money poor, right? That will change in a few years' time. You might not believe that you are time rich right now, but you are time rich, because you don't have kids, and you don't have a job, right? And it's just a fact, <laughs> 
When I was your age, I had a Bible, which was this youth Bible. Not this particular one, because mine was much more battered. But I had this at the side of my bed, and every night I would read it. And over a period of time, I can't tell you how many years, but I read it cover to cover. My encouragement to you this morning is, grab your Bible, you've got the time now, and read it. Because once you've got a job, and once you've got kids, you won't, your time will look very different. You're just going to have to trust me on that. The second event was after kids and before COVID. So I still went out running, but it was a lot less consistent. And so my time at God's table, for me, looked like my commute. So I was commuting into Birmingham or London most days, and I had this great walk to the station where I could listen to scripture, I could spend time on the train, uh, listening to worship music. It was a little bit harder in that season to actually hear from God because you're on a busy train, uh, and there's thoughts about like what does work hold for me in that time. The other thing that's happened recently in the after-kids season is I've become Daddy Taxi. So can I get a show of hands if you can recognize Daddy Taxi, where you spend your entire life carting your kids around? So I've tried to redeem that time to be at God's table, but not just me at the table, but me at the table. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, with my kids. So one of the things we've done, rather than just have the radio on and listen to music, which we still do do, we are getting hold of a Bible app and we are listening to scripture. And we will listen to a couple of verses and then we will pause it and I will ask them, do you understand what you've just heard? And quite often it's no. And so we use that time just to discuss what is the Bible saying about God. And I found that a really good way at trying to, in the busyness of life, you know, juggle those things where I was finding, actually, I'm not getting time because I'm so busy running them around everywhere, you know, before we go to bed to read the Bible. So for me, it's looked different now to do parenting and be intentional about how I lead my kids in this season. The next period of my life was COVID, and my routine was massively disrupted, like many people in the room I was busy juggling work and kids and going from meeting to meeting and just getting to the end of the day and feeling completely exhausted. And in that season, I didn't go to the table. Um, but what I did learn through that period was that what I need is a routine. I'm much better going to the table when I've got a routine. And so when post-COVID, I made a decision to try and find a routine that worked for me. Um, so that I could sit at his table. And it took me quite a while. It's probably only very recently that I found something that worked for me. And interestingly, it was another crisis, the energy crisis, that's kind of helped me find that routine. So I've recently decided um, or accepted I'm not going back to the office. Even though I've known for a couple of years I'm not going back to the office, I've actually done something about it and kind of invested in some equipment back home. But I've also then said my routine now looks like this. When I put the kids in the car, before I start my work day, I will spend time at his table, um, which has really, really helped me. And for me, I find it easiest to connect with God when I'm outside in nature, and I can see his creation, and I get to be in awe of him. And it really helps me get a right perspective of who I am and who God is. And that leads me to worship. And so I go outside every morning and I, I read. Um, 
But I'm also, you've heard me talk over the last couple of weeks before Christmas and after Christmas, what I've really tried to do is go back to being still again and hearing from him. And my father-in-law said to me uh, as I started work, when it comes to leading in business, you have two ears and one mouth and you should use them in those proportions. So I'll say it again, you have two ears and one mouth, you should use those in those proportions. And so I've tried to take that into my time with God. So if God is my shepherd, who makes me lie down in green pastures, who leads me beside still waters, who restores my soul, who leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, who comforts me in the valley of the shadow of death, who prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, who anoints my head with oil, who causes my cup to overflow, who causes goodness and mercy to follow me all the days of my life and enables me to dwell in his house forever, I need to be able to recognize his voice so that I can follow him, that I can get behind the things that he is doing, the things that he has planned, and the path that he has chosen. Not to ask him to bless the things that I am doing, that I have planned, or the path that I have chosen. And so, in my 10 minutes this morning, um, when I was being quiet, he reminded me of this last week. And he said, like, what I was reminded of was this last week has been glorious. Every morning and throughout the day, it's been blue sky and it's been sunshine and it's been glorious. But then he reminded me, there's a storm coming. If you've got a weather app on your phone, like me, you'll be getting notifications that saying, today, there is a storm coming. Amber weather warning, a storm is coming. And you can look outside and you go, there's no storm coming. This year, there's going to be 40 elections across the globe. 40% of the world's population is voting about a new government. So this bit's not prophetic, it's just a fact, right? But what that means is there is change that is coming across this world this year. Some of the stuff we get to have a say in it, some stuff we don't, but there is change coming. And I felt that God's saying, there is a storm coming. And the thing about storms, and real life youth again, I've kind of felt, when that storm kicks off tonight, go outside and shout into the storm and see how much you can actually hear, because they are really loud. The last storm that blew through our garden, our willow tree fell over, because it was rotten, and we needed help from Mike to cut it all up and, and get rid of it, right? And they are so loud storms. But if you're going to hear someone's voice in a storm, you need to be really in tune with it. And so I really felt like God say, there is a storm coming, do you know my voice? Can you pick out my voice in that storm? And the only way you're going to do that is if you get to his table. So that, that's me. Sorry. No, no soft Sorry. landing. Sorry, Ben. I was too busy going, yes, amen. Come on, God. Yeah, okay. Now I need to get back in gear. Okay, so I'm going to say one thing to finish up. The table talks about his goodness and mercy following us talks about it being a place that we will dwell forever. One of the things I realized this week, that if something is following you, practically, you have to look behind to see it. 
His goodness and mercy follows us. We need to be a people that look around us and realize that. We need to look behind at the year that's gone before us and not just pick out all the things that have been a nightmare. Pick out all the times that God has held you, has had you. Pick out all the ways in which you've survived and you're still here, you're still breathing. Pick out all the ways in which you have been ministered to by his people. Pick out all the ways in which you have overcome. Like the very fact you're still sat here. You know, church attendance in this nation post-COVID has gone down and down and down. The very fact that you are still running after Jesus or even limping or dragging yourself after Jesus is a win the very fact that us as leaders are still standing is a win. We have so many friends who did not make it. We have so many friends who did not come out of the pandemic still leading. We know so many people that in their trials and in their sufferings have, have caved and have gone under. The very fact that you're still here, the very fact that you are still going after God means that his goodness and his mercy follows you. It's been a practice of mine daily to look around me and say thank you for anything and everything that I can. It keeps my mind in tune, my heart straight as I recognize his goodness to me over and over again. A thankful people are a people who understand his goodness and mercy, understand that everywhere I go, he is. Everywhere I am, I'm loved. I am secure in his house. No matter what's going on in the world around me, I am found in his house, secure in his house. I am at home. This is my place. And I will not just dwell here on the earth. I will dwell here forever. This is my place for my whole life and into eternity I am saved, secure, safe. I never have to fear. Are there things I'm afraid of? Oh, yes. But I never have to fear because he is with me. So what I want us to do is by taking bread and wine, I want you to remember that you're saved. If you are not saved in the room, this is what I want you to remember today. There is a relationship in God waiting for you. It is like a table that is prepared and already laid out. You bring nothing to it apart from your sin and your shame. So if you've got some of that this morning, you're so welcome at his table. If you came here this morning with guilt, if you came here with sin, if you came here with shame, this table is where you are so welcome because nothing you bring adds to it or takes away from it. He prepares this table. So if you are not saved here today, there is a table prepared for you by Jesus Christ himself. It's his body that was broken for you, his blood that was shed for you. It's on the table. It's why we take communion so that we can remember what he has done. And you have access to that table because of him. If you are saved in the room, you have access to the table because of him. And you will need to tell yourself that over and over again. You'll hear the call to read your Bible and pray, and rightly so. If you want to know his voice in the storm, you better read your Bible and you better pray. But that's not what gets you to the table. 
He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Our job is to drag ourselves there, is to walk there, is to dance there, is to sing there, is to be found there. And this is our dwelling place forever. If you read up on heaven, what you will know is there will be tables and there will be feasting and there will be plenty of time spent in the presence of God. It will be beautiful on the new heaven and the new earth. And a lot of what we will do will be in perfect relationship with him. So worship team, I'm going to ask you to come. And I would love us to worship. You come to this table this morning because of him. When we say it's all about Jesus in this place, and we repeat it week after week, my kids go, oh yeah, we know it's all about Jesus. Um, as if, you know, they say it when I say I love you. They say, oh yeah, we know that. Yeah, we know. You tell us every day. We say that over and over again because we know that a free people are a worshipping people. When you understand the only way you get to be in his presence is because of what he's done, quite frankly, all you can do is worship and sing. And if you have nothing else to sing about and no other reason to worship him, that one will be enough for the rest of your life. He died in your place for all your sins so that you can stand before God perfect be called his son his daughter and worship him forever if all you've got is that you have enough to live on now and forever so I'm going to ask you to stand we've asked you to sit in life groups because we're sure there's going to be a bit of ministry time we've got 20 minutes what you can do in the presence of God in 20 minutes around the table is a lot we're going to sing a bit we're going to worship a bit we're going to hear from God and we're going to minister to one another at his table. The front row looks so different. Because we asked you to move into life groups, it's hilarious. We should do this more often because it just mixes it up a bit. I get bored of the same faces on the front row. So it's nice. Nice to look out and see, oh, you're there, you're there. Let's worship him. Let's get ourselves to the table. He has prepared it for you in the presence yeah. of your enemies.